Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon, everybody. This is Jerry Steinberg, your host of State of the U podcast, episode six. On the air today, we have Scott Salomon and Mike Grunwald. We're going to go through a whole host of topics later today. Um, we're going to start talking about the offense. We're going to talk a little about Kane's hoops, Kane's baseball. Uh, before we came on, Scott came up with a great idea and suggested that we dedicate this episode to Howard Schnellenberger, uh, the original godfather of UM football. Turns 80 today, so coach, at the slim chance you're listening to this or it gets back to you, this one's for you. Scott, how are you doing today? Doing wonderful, thanks, Jerry. How are you? Uh, no complaints. Thanks for hopping on here. Mike, how about yourself? Uh, doing well. Virginia's going to get four to eight more inches over the next two days, so looks like everybody's going to be working from home again. The winter that never ends. I do a lot of working from home myself, so I don't really complain about that. I, I actually welcome it. But, yeah, yeah. even snow day is a little different. Mm-hmm. All right, guys. So let's start out with, with our first topic of the day. Uh, I just want to go um, position by position on offense and talk about um, you know, it doesn't have to necessarily be position battles, but just talk about what we're looking for uh, in spring football and going forward. Uh, Scott, I'm going to start with you. At the quarterback position, looks like Ryan Williams is probably going to be our starter. Um, what do you look for for Ryan, and what do you look for from his backups? Well, with Ryan, I, I look to see his leadership ability. I think that he needs to be able to show that he can lead this offense up and down the field the way he did in the mop-up duty that he got in the 2013 season. I think he happened to play extremely well. Um, I, I think that he had no pressure on him because of the situation that he was in, but he was still showcasing himself for next year. Uh, I don't see Kevin Olsen uh, making that much of a difference this season. Uh, I see Ryan Williams uh, having a battle with Brad Kaya when, when Brad comes in the fall. Uh, but it is Ryan's job to lose. Scott, let me ask you this before we... Uh, shift gears and ask Mike. Uh, do you think Ryan Williams is the type of player that if he had to, maybe not as a scrambler, but can he create plays in the pocket? Can he improvise a little bit, or does the play have to be perfectly blocked for him to be successful? I actually thought that, that from what we saw from him last season, that he was every bit as good as Steve Morris was uh, when he was uh, under a lot of intense pressure. Uh, I thought Ryan Williams had the ability to break away and make some plays happen. Uh, I think that he's going to show Kane's fans that he's explosive. He's got the tools. He's got the head. Uh, he went to Miramar High School. And I think he's he's going to be able to be a good one for us. All right. Uh, Mike, what, what do you think about the quarterback position, starting with uh, Ryan Williams, and then, and then give us a little rundown on your overview of the backups? Sure, sure. I think... From comparing, when I did this breakdown of just doing some research, I wanted to think of what happened last year, what we had the position with Stephen Morris, and is it better this year with what we have Ryan Williams, you know, and the crew behind him. And I think actually, to be honest, I think the, this crew this year is better. It's a year older. And with Morris, it was very much a feast or famine um, types of games, whether it be one game or one play to the next. Um, with Williams, I think what we will see, hopefully, is it will be more steady. Now, is it going to be more explosive? Um, probably not because he's not going to be able to have the arm that Morris does. And to be honest, not many people do have that type of elite arm strength. But I think he will make better decisions. I think we're going to see more of 
getting the balls to the playmakers, which we'll discuss later. But in the position this year, I think we take a step forward with, you know, Kaya coming in and Rocher coming in for redshirting as well as having, you know, the steady backups of Crow and then Olsen. But with Williams, I just hope when he starts, because I do believe he will be starting. I don't – we've heard a lot of, you know, the spring ball that Olsen and some of the guys are doing really well. And Kaya's, you know, the you know the great new freshman, the new toy that's coming in the, to town. Um but I think you'll see Williams this year, and I believe it'll be more a steady approach. It may be more methodical going down the field instead of the lightning quick plays. I think yeah, it's gonna be more. Think... Go ahead, Scott. I think it's gonna be more like a Steve Walsh ball control type offense. Uh, I think Michael was right about that. I think he was right on where you're not, you're not gonna see the long ball that much, but you're gonna see a lot of in, in routes. And you can see a lot of drag patterns where I think that they're going to be able to pick up a quick 15, 20 yards per pop. Um, I think they're going to be able to move the ball efficiently with Ryan Williams. Uh, I think he's got he's got the arm strength to make the the good throws, the accurate throws, some of the throws that Stephen couldn't make uh, towards the middle to the end of the season. Stephen was accurate on the long ball, but how many times are you going to hit a home run? I think Ryan's going to be able to move the ball down the field. I think he's got enough weapons and enough tools to where he's going to be able to, to do that effectively and efficiently. And Scott, I love having you on here because you always bring out some, some classic references. Uh, Steve Walsh is a great reference. I was going to say Ken Dorsey is who I would hope that Williams I – mean, I don't know that I expect him to play on that level, but if you want to make a comparison, a guy that's just a good game manager, ball distributor, you know, gets the ball into his weapons' hands in a position for them to make plays um, – yeah, and, and, and to Mike's point, consistency at a quarterback position is going to be really key. Um, I I agree. Stephen Morris was too up and down, um, you know, with the exception of their defense's poor play. I would say Morris's play was my biggest disappointment this past year, and I know he didn't have that bad of a year, and I know he's probably going to get drafted, but if they can get a more consistent approach out of the quarterback position, that, will, that could help them win, you know, possibly even two more games this year, so... Looking forward to that. Um, guys, one last th- before we get I'm, – I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, like, one last thing on Morris. I think it's interesting. If you look at his statistics, he actually had a pretty solid year. Um, and his last month was actually pretty good, too. I don't have the numbers off the top of my head, but um, he did really well. But if you watch the games, as we all did, it was, it was very frustrating to watch. Um, just the lack of execution, you know, lack of the precision on some of the plays was just kind of, you know, didn't really – didn't really make sense compared to last year or the year before that, I guess. Yeah, I, you make good points. I mean, he 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 hit Coley for fifty yards. He hit Hearns for forty-five, and then he missed, you know, uh, Dallas Crawford coming out in the flat, you know, on third and six mm-hmm. with a lot of room to run. You know, just just the easier plays seem to uh elude him for some reason and then the the deep throws the more difficult throws classically seem to be something that he excelled in so if we can find somebody that maybe whether it be Williams or Kaya here down the line or even Olsen that can make those easy plays as well as make the long throws then we really have something on offense but I want to push forward guys and before we get to the skill guys uh I want to talk about the guys up front um Mike I'm going to start with you uh, Miami's offensive line was actually rated by footballstudyhall.com, which is another site on SB Nation that, that does all kinds of interesting things with college football. But they actually rated Miami's offensive line as the 12th best in the country this past year. Um, 
Brandon Linder and Central Henderson are off to the NFL. Can the offensive line be as good as it was last year or even possibly better? I think kind of going back to what we talked about last week with, you know, the cornerbacks. No, I think the ceiling is there, or, or we don't know what the ceiling is. The potential, I guess, would be there. Um, we just don't know yet because there's some young guys. You know, we lost two starters, and now we're going to maybe play Casey McDermott as a freshman, you know, rotating in with a Sonia Dogwu. Um, the guy that, you know, who left Malcolm Bunch, he looked to be a starter at right tackle, and he's, you know, now at UCLA. Um, you have Isidore there. Feliciano is a steady hand. Shane McDermott at center is a steady hand. Um, so I like the overall depth of the position. It's not just incredibly senior-laden, but because it's not senior-laden, you don't necessarily know what you're going to get with the guys like Isidore, who's coming back off injury from last year, who played at the end of the year. Um, you know, Hunter Knighton, you know, you hope he gets better. Um, Hunter Wells is another backup. So if you start looking at the two deep, even with the freshmen that are coming in that are supposed to be really good, the point is they are freshmen. So I think the line could be very good this year. But what do we know exactly? Because you had guys like Linder and Feliciano playing last year, as well as, you know, Sontrell Henderson. It's a little less experienced this year. I think there is more talent overall. I really actually like Linder a lot. He played all four years and was really good. But, um, you know, Isidore is going to maybe start at guard. He weighs, you know, 330 pounds. Feliciano's played a lot. Adagwu is, like, he honestly looks like the Incredible Hulk. He's a really good guy when you look at him in the uniform. Um, But you don't necessarily know if there's going to be false starts, if there's going to be holdings. We can be proud that last year we didn't have that because the group was good overall. But moving forward, honestly, it's, it's I don't know. Um, but I think it could be a very good unit. Like uh, one guy that you forgot to mention going down the line was Eric Flowers, who arguably was our yeah. best offensive lineman at left tackle. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I know it's real early. I, I believe Eric's going into his junior year. Do you think Eric yeah. Flowers is an NFL player down the line? I do, I do. And what's funny is is the reason you forget about him is because he's so good. Um, guys like Chris Samuels comes to mind for me. I wouldn't necessarily put Flowers in that pedigree, but the point was Chris Samuels in college, I believe, went 60 starts without giving up a sack, something you, you just never heard from him because he was that good, he was that dominating. And I think Flowers got beat occasionally last year, but uh, overall, I mean, He's, he's a really good player. And apparently from the interviews during spring, um, Gadbois, uh, his backup, has done really, really well, too. They say he has the measurables to be very good as well from his, like, arm punching and all those different types of things that the line has to do. So he's an interesting backup. He may be, like, the, the if they have, like, they rate. I know Art Kehoe always says we're going to take the five best guys and play them. He may be the fifth or sixth best offensive lineman that has to rotate in, like, a Jared Wheeler play throughout the year. Um but, yeah, Flowers is very good. I could see him getting drafted very highly. But to be honest, with offensive linemen, very hard when converting to the next level. That's why you see guys from, like, Central Michigan, I believe. That's a guy from um, who went one overall last year to the Chiefs. Or, you know, those guys, there are a lot of random ones that come together, and they, they, do, they do really well at the combine. That's why they skyrocket up. So or Eric Flowers has played really well for us. I think it could convert in the NFL, but, hey, I'm not a scout. So, you know. Yeah, no, it's funny that um, you talk about a lot of guys that came in of nowhere. Um, I know from talking to Mike Bayock a couple of weeks back on uh, on the, right before the uh, combine, he said that the the tackle position this year was so deep that you could get a starter four rounds in. And uh, he, he had a lot of great things to say about uh, Chantrell. I mean, obviously his consistency needs to improve, but uh, pretty interesting. Um, Scott, I'm going to kick it over to you for a second. 
Uh, before we talk about this year's squad, uh, I, I'd love when you go old school on us. Real quickly, if you could come up with maybe like the top three or four Miami offensive linemen of all time, uh, and then and then let us know what you think about this year's group. Well, you got to go. You got to look at the big guy. You got to you got to look at Leon Searcy. Uh, Searcy had a great career at UM, fantastic career in the pros. Uh, he's he's going to be a college football Hall of Famer. Uh, I, I think you got to look at him. I think when you're looking in terms of uh, some of the great UM centers, I think you, you got to look at Darren Handy. Uh, he was he was on the the '87 national championship team. Uh, he he was a he was a heck of a ball player. I, th- I believe he was a four year starter. Uh, so if you're gonna go old school, I would definitely take a look at those two guys. One guy I think we're missing from this year's squad that I think is gonna make a lot of noise is Trevor Darling. Uh, he's six five three thirty, and I I I just think he's gonna get some, he's gonna get a lot of reps. Yeah, he. Um... I believe he's an early enrollee, so that gives him a leg up. Him and McDermott are both are already in camp, so that gives him a leg up. Uh, Scott, I can't believe, I know it's not maybe old school enough for you, but I can't believe you didn't throw Brian McKinney in there. Yeah. Brian McKinney was a good player, but I don't think he was a great player. Uh-huh. Oh, come on. <laughs> he, he shut down Dwight Freeney when Dwight Freeney was the, the best defensive man in college football. i got to well, give you that. Uh, I, I'm just more disappointed with, with with his pro career than I am with, with what he did in college. Um, I think that that he's been lackadaisical. I think he's a lazy player. I don't think he hustles, and I don't think he plays to the best of his ability. He might have done that when he was at the U, but I certainly don't think he's done that in the pros, and I think it's evident by the amount of teams that he's played for. Uh, that's a fair argument. Uh one of my favorite old school offensive linemen who didn't really have much of a pro career was Joaquin Gonzalez. And guys, what did Joaquin tell Ed Reed to do? Yeah. Come on. Come on, share it with us, Jerry. I know, I was waiting. Joaquin said dominate and we're not doing it. Yeah. Well, I think I, I, I think two guys I on the offensive I, I think two guys on the offensive line we're also forgetting about that had pretty good UM careers. One of them turned out to be a pretty good coach. Is the Cristobal brothers? Oh yeah, yeah. All right. Well, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna be too harsh on you guys, but I can't believe we didn't get the Joaquin reference. I mean, that's my all-time yeah. favorite Miami soundbite. <laughs> all right, guys. So we've we've covered offensive line, and Scott, you bring a good point about uh, Darling, and um, we'll see how him and Casey do, and it, it's going to be key, I think, for the offensive line to do well. Um, I want to see Ryan Williams in action, but I want to see him upright a lot more than I want to see him trying to uh, improvise on the run or anything like that. So, uh, offensive line could be a real key position on this offense. So, well, I wouldn't mind seeing him. I wouldn't mind seeing him on the run as long as he's not running for his life. I wouldn't mind seeing him having a moving pocket uh, where they they call some sprints and some rollouts which I know James Coley likes to do, and I think that Steve Morris, with his injuries, he just couldn't handle it. But I think Ryan yeah. Williams it has the size, the strength, and the speed to where he can move that pocket out, and he can throw the ball into the flat. He can throw the, he, he, he can throw the seven route. i got no problem with him doing that, and I'd like to see them do a lot of that because it's going to help the offensive line to where they're going to be able to pull and push, and, and they're not going to have to worry about uh, remaining erect in the same position. That's that's a fair point. We'll just have to see how things progress, but 
irregardless of whether Williams is the type of player to, to move well or not, which time will tell, I, I guess we'll revisit this guy. I want to see him have a lot of time in that pocket and uh, be able to pick the defense apart with guys like Coley and Rashawn Scott and so on and so forth. All right, speaking of Coley and Rashawn Scott, uh, and Scott, I'm going to start with you on this one. Uh, what are you looking for from the from the wide receiver position? Um, who do you think needs to stand out? Alan Hearns, obviously, no longer with the team, about to get drafted in the NFL, most likely. Um, Stacey Coley, obviously, had an impressive freshman year. What what most are you looking forward to on, on this group? I think there's a lot of power in this group. I, I think there's a lot of ability to make the big play. I think you, you, that you're going to see Malcolm come back, I think, you, and he's going to have a big year. I think they, that you're going to see Rashawn Scott come back and have a big year. Uh, I think there's just a lot of talent at the wide receiver position. Stacy showed us a little bit of what he can do, uh, and I, I think he's going to build off of what he did as a very impressive freshman campaign. Uh, I, I like I, I like him at the return position as well. Uh, I just think that there's so much speed on this team right now, and I think that they're going to get even faster. Uh, you got the kid from Homestead coming in, uh, uh, Brady. Who I happen to like a lot, and I think is is, is going to do a lot of big things. Um, I, I think that, that Ryan Williams is going to have so many tools and weapons at his disposal. Uh, if everyone stays healthy, I think that the sky's the limit for this group. Um, Scott, one guy I didn't ask you about, so I'm not going to give you points off for not mentioning him. But but how about the tight end Clive Walford? What, what's his uh, what's his ceiling? How good a player can he be? I don't see Clive being more than than a check down receiver because uh, I think that's the way they use him. They like to use him on the slant, and they like to use him on a bubble screen. And they, that's usually they usually run that play either on first down or they run that play on third down, and they they only look to pick up maybe three or four yards with it. I don't think he's going to have such a high ceiling. Uh, I, I'd rather see them use a guy like Bo Sandlin, who who I think is faster. He's not quite as big, can't block as well, but he can run that seam route pretty well. And I think Ryan Williams is comfortable with him because I think they both ran on the second-team offense last year, and I think they build up a rapport. If you look at that game they had last year against Savannah State, they seem to work pretty well together. Uh, so I, I expect big things out of Bo Sandlin, and I also expect big things out of the uh, tight end that they signed uh, uh, this year. I think he's going to be able to, to do some things as well. Uh, you're talking about the the kid from Jersey, right? Yes. No, Noku, I think his last name is pronounced Noku. Something like that, yes. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. He might end up getting redshirted. Um, be interesting to see how quickly he can come to the fray. Uh, Mike, uh, I want to ask you about another newcomer before we get to the position as a whole. Do you see Braxton Berrios coming in and, and instantly uh, getting on the field, or you think he might redshirt? How do you see him playing out, and how do you see the position as a whole playing out? I mean, with freshmen, for me, if they can play, I've talked to Cam about this before, if if you can play and you're a playmaker, then by all means, get on the field. Um, but if you need, he's injured too. Um, the fact that he had ACL surgery a few months ago, right after they signed him, I think it was at the Under Armour game, he had torn it, or he had played through it, which is crazy if he did. Um, so if he can play, if he legitimately, like, physically can play and he's a playmaker, I know a lot of people compare him for great slot receivers and that he's really shifty and he's got a very good makeup, then, you know, by all means let him play. But the thing is, we've already rattled off all the names ahead of him. You know, you got 
maybe, honestly, like six receivers that could be contributors that have already been on the team two or three years. So if you want to burn a red shirt to play a guy to get five to 15 catches a season, do five to 15 more punt returns, right? you know, that's your choice as the coach. Me, personally, I'd be conservative with it. Let him red shirt, come back, you know, 18 months removed from the injury, you know, talking about next season, not this season. And, you know, the pecking order, he'll be able to get farther up it because he's, he's still recovering right now in rehab. So, um, by all means, I've heard he's done really great, you know, in his rehab. But if you don't need to push it too hard, don't necessarily do that. Um, if going into the overall group, I'm really happy that we do have playmakers in Stacey Coley. I'd like to see her waters be more consistent. I think he had a really great beginning of the season from what I remember, but then kind of disappeared for many games. Um, Malcolm Lewis, you hope he comes back. I know last year he looked really stiff on the field, and that's understandable um, coming back from the injury. Um, Rashawn Scott, he was injured all season last year, too. He played in a few games and did well, had the one hand to catch, and, of course, broke his collarbone. So uh, the, I, I think there are great positives with the position. My only concern is there's not that much height. I'm not looking for somebody like Megatron, like 6'5 or anything, but Rashawn Scott, I think, is like 6'2". Stacey College probably six foot, but there's no um, really tall receiver that could be a true possession receiver. But, you know, that, that's just nitpicking at this point. The position's really good from my opinion. And not to mention a guy that uh, none of us have mentioned yet, and Phil Dorsett, who's a four two nine forty guy. Um, so a lot, a lot of potential at that receiver spot. Uh, guys, before we move on to running back, I'm going to take a minute to do some uh, uh, production-type stuff here. Um, Mr. Amigo, Larry Millian, um, supposed to be with us uh, a couple weeks back. He's going to be doing his own show starting uh, Wednesday at 6 p.m. So I ask that anybody who's listening today or listening uh, when we rebroadcast this on the site, uh, definitely check him out. Um, Larry has connections to guys like Sean Salisbury and Old Hurricanes, and, and Larry's show should be great once we finally get him on the ball rolling, so be sure to check out uh, Larry's show, 6 p.m. on Wednesday. All right, guys, pushing ahead. Uh, Scott, I'm going to ask you first. We all know about Duke Johnson. Who else can we look for this year from the running back position? Joseph Yerby is a guy that I'm anxious to see. I think he's he's going to be a clone of Duke Johnson. And I think that when you take Duke out to give him a breather and you can put Yerby in there, I think you're going to be able to uh, go from explosive 1A to explosive 1B. Uh, I, I, I happen to think that of the two running backs uh, that, that came from that school, I, I, I think that uh, Yerby was actually the better one. Uh, you know, he, you know, why is it that he was a starter? He got a lot of reps. Uh, so, you rate Yerby over Dalvin Cook? Yeah, I do. Wow. That's I, not I, I I I saw a lot of that kid in high school, and, and the kid's a beast. All right. No offense to Brian London, but he he he's a beast. He can play. Uh, you know he he he's got the ability to carry the ball uh, through traffic. I think he can. He's he's got the cuts. He can move. Uh, he can get you the hard first down. Uh, and I think he can take the ball from long distance. No offense to Brian London, but I think Yerby's a different kind of beast. <laughs> All right. Uh, Mike, let me ask you about the running back position. And before I ask you about the position as a whole, I'm going to play a little game with you here. It's a uh, fourth and goal from the two-yard line. You can pick any UM running back 
in the history of the program to try and run the ball in. Who's going with? Um, I'd probably go with Willis McGahee because he scored so many gosh darn touchdowns for the team. I remember that Virginia Tech game back in, uh, was what, 2000, 2001, where he had, what, six touchdowns for the record? Um, it was probably not even... Yeah? I think, yeah, um, I think you should have more than a game. Go ahead, Mike. Yeah. But I think I would go with either McGahee or nothing about Edron James. Um, I'm just remember that UCLA game now, thinking about just how he ran for, like, what, 400 yards? Um, but I think I would stick with McGahee. Uh, Mike, before I let you talk about the uh, position as a whole, let me ask Scott. Scott's very old school. Scott, are you going McGahee or are you going a little further back? You know, I was thinking about it. I was thinking about one of my former clients, Larry Jones. Uh, I see big number 43 carrying the mail. Or another number 43, Cleveland Gary, also, if I was going to go older school than that. I would look at big Cleveland taking that ball on a handoff from Steve Walsh. He'd get into that end zone nine times out of ten. Yeah, I, I like those guys. Um, I might go uh, Alonzo Highsmith just because of the size and combination of size and speed he had. Um, but yeah, definitely, definitely good picks from both of you guys. Uh, Mike, let me get back to you. Give us a little breakdown sure. on this year's running back. Um, I mean, Scott really handled most of it. Um, I want to see from Gus Edwards more power on the inside. I think he ran a little too high last year. Um, it's interesting that Al Golden would talk about that, that he ran too upright. And then when you see it in the games, he he would. <laughs> he would run too high, and he needed to get his pads down. So I heard he gained some weight this year without losing speed over the offseason, which would be excellent for being, what, 6'2", 230. Um, when you brought up that question of who would you want on the goal line, I, I thought you were trying to get at Gus Edwards for this year. And I, I, I would, would love to see him. He has the measurables. Uh, we just got to see what he's going, you know, if he's able to progress, you know, technically-wise, you know, technique-wise and all those types of things. He has – he's not got the top-notch speed, per se, as a Duke Johnson or a Yearby, um, but he's got the physical makeup to be one of those guys that you can give it to in the fourth quarter when defenses don't want to tackle him. And he he could be a very bad thing for opposing defenses, and I'd be excited to see where he goes. Um I don't really know what they're doing with Walter Tucker, though, just changing gears a little bit. I've heard he's going to be the fullback. I know we run pro sets, but they've been playing, I guess, out of necessity in spring ball um, at running back with the change of Dallas Crawford. But I'm curious to see what they're going to do with him, too, because he he was one of those guys that they signed very late last year, and I thought he was going to play linebacker in redshirt. I wrote that he was going to, and then they moved him to fullback, and he was playing on special teams and knocking heads off people. So I'm really curious to see what he can do because we haven't had a fullback that athletic since, like, Quatrine Hill in the early 2000s. Um, I believe now he's a boxer. But uh, I'm curious to see what Edwards as well as Justin Tucker are going to do, whether it's on special teams or giving big contributions. Yeah, I I think you about covered how I feel about it. Gus is a guy I've mentioned on other podcasts that I um, really uh, – I'm looking forward to this year. The, the big back element is something that we haven't had as much. Um, I, I love Yearby just like Scott does, and I love Duke. But that guy that, you know, maybe can come in in the third quarter while those guys catch their breath and just pound the defense, you know, in the hot Miami sun, that, that that's the kind of guy I love personally. If I was building an NFL franchise, I'd always go for the big back over the smaller backs, but that's just me. All right, guys, great job, uh, 
go through the position by position breakdowns. Got some good old school references in there. Asked you guys a little ad lib questions. You guys handled really well. Um, my personal favorite part of every podcast, although this week it's a little bit bittersweet. Uh, we're going to talk a little Kings hoops. Um, looks like uh, their season's over. They're probably not going to get invited to the NIT. Coach Laranaga said that you know it was probably ECC or bust this year. Um, NC State eliminated them. They had a really good shot in that game, and they kind of fell apart at the end. Um, I'm going to start with you this time, Mike. Uh, if you had to give the team a grade for their performance this year, what would you give them and why? Uh, I mean, I would probably give them a B because I think at the beginning of the year they lost some head scratchers to out-of-conference teams that they shouldn't have. I think Larinaga made the change to the zone as well as the slowdown just on the talent. I'd give the coaching an A, but the team as a whole, I thought some of those games at the beginning of the year when they lost, I believe, with St. Bonaventure and some other teams that were just, you know, not necessarily they should have lost to. They were supposed to be, you know, out-of-conference games you're supposed to win, and they lost. That was kind of disappointing. But, I mean, as we've talked about multiple times, the team overall talent-wise was just not very good, and they had seniors on the team but those guys hadn't even played very much, if ever, before this season. So um, I would give them – the team was what we thought they were going to be, and they had some games where they didn't play up to where they should have, and then there were some games where they played really well. So I'd give them a B. And I think you meant see Francis and not say Bonaventure. But I'll, I'll... <laughs> oh, that's sorry. Yeah, that's what I meant. That's okay. Uh, the same St. Francis team that nearly beat Syracuse about three games in, so they're a pretty interesting squad. Um, mm-hmm. Todd, what about you? What's your overall team grade for for the UM Miami basketball team? I'm gonna give I'm gonna give them a solid B as well. I think that that they were definitely better than average. Uh, they were better than what I expected this year. I had them pegged for about 12 wins. Uh, I was impressed with what they did in the ACC on the road. Going into North Carolina and going into Florida State, I think those are two big wins for the program. I mean, let's face it, they, they, they weren't a very good basketball team. You, you don't look at them on paper and have any fear of of, of what they're going to do compared to, the, to last year's team or even compared to what we're going to have next year. Uh, but I think they, they did a very admirable job. I think they represented the university well. Um, I, I think that you have to... Uh, again, look at the job that Coach Laranega did this season. I, I think him switching to the zone was brilliant. I mean, it was just sheer brilliance. Um, and uh, I give all the credit in the world to Laranega. I, I think he's a great coach. I, I will continue to, to praise him and say that he is the dean of the UM coaches as far as what they have on staff this year in all the sports. I think he's the dean. Uh, and I think that he's the example that that is to be set to the other sports. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, I'm actually working on an article about how the zone kind of changed Miami season. That will be out sometime tomorrow. Um, so I won't get into that too much. But um, I agree with your guys' sentiments. I would actually probably give them a B plus, And the reason why I'm going to give them a plus and not just a B, um, by the end of the season, that team was actually creating excitement. Um, Ryan Brown um, had an excellent senior year. Uh, the dunk he had in the ACC tournament made me jump up and pump my fist. Um, luckily, I wasn't at the actual ACC tournament, so I was able to do that from my home. Um, can't do that type of stuff with credentials, obviously. Uh, Eric Swoop became a hum- human highlight highlight reel um, by season's end. 
the type of things he was doing um, off the charts, athleticism. I'm hoping that he uh, decides to go pro in a different sport. Maybe uh, gives football, kicks the tires with football the way Jimmy Graham did. That would be awesome. So, yeah. Um, real quickly, Scott, I love your old school references. I don't know how long you've been following UM Hoops, but give me your all-time favorite UM Hoops moment. Oh, it would have to be back when they resurrected the program and uh, they had Bill Foster as a coach and um, my buddy Jay Rokich was doing the play-by-play and uh, we had Kevin Presto at the shooting guard position and all this kid did was light up three-pointers. He couldn't drive, he couldn't do much of anything except hit the three and you would always hear Jay Ro yelling, Kevin Presto, tinkling the twine for three! And uh, you know that that was that that was you know as, as a young hoopster, you know when they just resurrected the program. To me, that was uh, something that I'll never forget. And every time I see Jay, I I either talk to him about Presto hitting the threes, or I'll talk to him about his calls. He, he's he's in his 45th season now, calling UM baseball games, mm-hmm. and he, he's got a famous home run call as well. And uh, but you know that's that's something that'll always stand out in my mind because that's when I was a student there, and, and I think that when you're a student at the U, I think the games have a little bit more meaning and and and, and uh, you get a little more excitement because you're on campus all day waiting for the game to, ha- to happen. And that was when we had to take the Metro Rail to the James L. Knight Center uh, before they even played at the old Miami Arena, and uh, it, it was just an exciting time to see UM basketball resurrected. Yeah, Scott, I, I used to take the Metro Rail out to the arena back in the 90s. And um, I have several favorite moments, but the first one that comes to mind, the first game uh, that I ever went to when I was a freshman at UM, uh, they beat Seton Hall. I believe Danny Hurley was a star player on Seton Hall, and we were chanting Bobby's better the whole game. But um, <laughs> we took the Metro Rail back to campus, and uh, we walked to the uh, Circle K, which is just off campus, to get some celebratory beer. And uh, at the Circle K, we ran into Kevin Norris and Tim James. Tim James was just a freshman at that time. And um, we congratulated them on the game. And uh, a gentleman named Clifton Clark, who kind of had a nondescript year at UM, was a star of that game against Seton Hall. And I I asked him about Clifton Clark. And uh, Norris looked at me and he said, Clark's good. He said, but this is the guy you need to follow. And he pointed at Tim James. And Tim James was a very modest kid back then, or I think he's still modest, he's a real nice guy, but Tim James just kind of shrugged, and, you know, Norris told me, he said, by the time this guy's done, he's going to be something special, and, and Tim James is one of, I think, four guys in the program's history that have the, that has his uh, number retired, so he did have a great career. Um, that, that instantly, just how cool the basketball players were, that you could actually interact with them because you're on campus, and how fun the games were, you know, sold me for life on being a UM Hoops fan. And then, of course, the, my favorite moment from last year, which was, you know, a historic year for the program, um, something that if you told me seven years ago would ever have happened, I would have told you that you were smoking something funny. Just them winning both championships in the regular season and the tournament and the embrace between um, Reggie Johnson and Duran Scott was just, to me, was just awesome because it was, they, were, they were almost doing that, like, symbolic of all of us people have been following the program for the years. Just like, wow, we made it, you know? Um, just uh, in- last year was just incredible. So, uh, Mike, I don't want to skip you on this one. Do you have a favorite you have moment as well? Um, I'll probably go with last year when they played um, 
North Carolina. I think it was played North Carolina in the title game, right? Or was that Duke? I forgot which one. But that game it was, was actually North just, Carolina. Yeah, yeah, it was North Carolina in the ACC title game. Yeah, and it was just back and forth, and Miami would be up. I, how many lead changes were there, like 15 to 20 in that game? It was just unbelievable. And the three-pointers and by Larkin and everybody was just – it was a really thrilling game, and to win, I just kind of like, like my adrenaline had to slow down after the game just because it was so back and forth, and it was really, really good. Um, so that's yeah, my that recent is, game for you. Yeah, PJ Hairston and uh, Shane Larkin were having a personal duel, and then I think Miami kind of took the upper hand when Trey McKinney Jones got involved in it. It was like Trey and Shane were like shooting threes against PJ Hairston. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> it was like those three guys could have been on the court by themselves. I, I Gamble had a great game too, but was, those three guys are the three guys I always remember from that game. That that was a great moment. Mm-hmm. All right, good stuff, guys. I I, I love uh, mixing the basketball in there. Um, it's always fun um, to do that. Um, Mike, I didn't get to you till later in the basketball question, so I'm going to start with you on baseball now. Um, sure. What's going on? Yeah, what's going on with the Canes? I mean, they're they're kind of up and down this year. What's the deal? I I couldn't. I I was actually going to ask you guys the same thing. Like this team was supposed to be rated in the top fifteen, twenty. I believe going into Georgia Tech, I, I think they get rated just like in football. They get them every week. They were rated twenty two. I saw, and I mean, you lose four times this week, and you only win the one game against Georgia Tech on Friday, and the other two games they lost with Bethune Cookman and Stetson. Not exactly the yeah. uh, you know powerhouses of the college football or college baseball from what I understand um I think they may have had a little bit of a hangover from last week's 5-0 and run um I, I don't know what type of team this is this year um they have the pitching but is it coming out every game they the hitting we know is very hit or miss you know pardon the pun I guess but uh I, I don't know what to tell you Jerry I really don't and I, I've been picking the brains of our, our two baseball writers that we've recently brought on staff, um, uh, Barry and Kyle. And um, Barry told me that Platoon Cookman is actually a better than you think program, but he was very disappointed in the Stetson loss. Um, mm-hmm. These guys are just telling me, they're saying that, you know, the hitting's a lot better than it was last year. The starting pitching is supposed to be a strength, and when it's on, it's really on, and that the bullpen has been a real weakness that – you know, when they go to the pen, it's, you know, hold your breath time. Um, God, I don't know how close you've been following baseball this year, but can you give us a little bit on, on what you're seeing? I've been following very close, and I have some very strong opinions on it. Uh, UM baseball was very dear to me when I was at the U. Ron Frazier, the late great coach, was a very good friend of mine. Uh, loved Ron, always have, always will. And when I look back at the UM program and my UM experience, I'll always look back at UM baseball as probably being one of my favorites. If I'm Donna Shalala and Blake James right now, I'm looking for a new head coach. I'm looking for a new manager. Uh, I just don't believe that that, that that Jim Morris is the guy that's going to lead us to Omaha again. I just don't see it happening. I think in the last few years they've had all the talent in the world. They just can't get the team motivated to play and to win. And... Uh, I, I, I've been calling for this now for the last three seasons, and uh, I, I just haven't really uh, been getting much momentum on it. But I think that as UM starts to lose more and more games and you start to compare ourselves to the other ACC schools, especially to, to the in-state schools, uh, there's no reason for this. We have a very talented baseball team. We have a very good pitching staff. 
the 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 battery that we have is is exceptional. We we have great hitting. We're just not putting it all together, and that's what you need a coach for. And he's got to be able to put it all together, and he's got to be able to motivate his nine guys that are out there to play. And we're just not doing that on a, on a consistent basis. You look at Florida State; they go out and win every series. Do they have better players than we do? No, they don't. They have good talent, but but so do we. We both have great talent. There's a lot of great baseball talent in this state, and we're just not winning, and it's unacceptable. And I think that that this program has gone downhill, and they've done nothing to resurrect it. And I'm very disappointed in the way that that this whole thing has been handled. God, wow, that, those are some strong opinions. Let me ask you a follow-up question on that. Are they just not getting the players, or are they just not coaching the players they're getting? I mean, is, is this team, that is this roster, let me ask, that they have now talented enough to get back to Omaha? This team is extremely talented. They have a load of talent on, you know, on the pitching staff and, and on the guys in the field. The biggest problem is they're just not they're just not motivating as a coaching staff. They are not motivating these players to play, and that's what I find to be so disappointing. Um, you know, I, I've had an axe to grind with Jim Morris for years, but you know, it, it, it's more prevalent now because it's, it's happening on a consistent basis. We're losing to Bethune Cookman. People are telling us that Bethune Cookman is a good baseball program, and that we have to worry about teams like this. We should be slaughtering them. Stetson, come on, give me a break. We should be going up to all these ACC schools and, and and winning every series because we have more talent. If you look at it and you put the pencil to the paper, you you, you look at their lineup card versus our lineup card. Our lineup card should be should be winning eighty to ninety percent of the time, and they're not. All right. I know, Cam, I know Cam's not going to be excited with me for this, but uh, you know I'm I'm just very disappointed in the way that this baseball program is being treated right now. Well, Scott, I mean, your opinions are very strong, and um, I, I don't necessarily agree. I don't necessarily disagree either. I don't think I'm informed enough about recruiting in terms of baseball and, and the roster as a whole to know whether or not the coaching staff is the problem. So I will take your word as a much more informed person than I um, on the situation, and we'll try and get Kyle and Barry on the show too. That might be a good debate to have the three of you guys talk Kings baseball. Now, don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. I love Turtle Thomas. Okay, I think he. I think he. I think he's fantastic. Okay, uh, and you know one of the problems UM's had in the past was they had guys that they would sign, but they would go pro. They haven't had that lately, so there's no excuse that they're losing guys. Well, let me ask you this, Scott. They got a UVA coming in this week, right? How, how critical is that series? Do you think if they take two out of three, they can get things righted? If you take two out of three of any series, I think you can get the things going in the right direction. But they got to be playing; they have to be playing at a six sixty six clip just to uh, get back into the top ten. Uh, they got to start taking two out of three of every of every series. They they cannot lose series anymore. They cannot they they cannot drop three games or two out of three to these ACC schools that just quite frankly aren't as good as we are. We need to get the pitching and the hitting together and get the players motivated to play nine innings. All right. Well, I do I do appreciate your opinion, and um, this is definitely something we're going to have to revisit. I, I, I like that we have a very strong opinion on the podcast, and we'll come back to this uh, in the future, and we'll definitely get our baseball guys on too, and it sounds like a good debate. Um, hopefully the baseball team can get their ship righted. Um, 
and we'll definitely continue to talk baseball throughout the spring and summer. Uh, I'm going to push forward and move on to the next portion of the show, and, and I just want to touch quickly upon, as we do every week, something, you know, NCR and Uncane related. Um, although we sometimes touch upon former Canes uh, on this subject. Um, what have you guys seen so far in NFL free agency? Uh, Mike, I'm going to start with you. I know you're a big Washington Redskins guy, but around the league, what have you seen that um, has impressed you? Who's been overpaid? Who's still out on the market that you think uh, is due to get a big contract? Well, I think not necessarily impressed but confused um, by the Raiders. Um, now, in the last few days, they've signed a few people, but when the NFL free agency opened, I believe they had close to $70 million in salary cap to be able to spend. And they let their our left tackle, Val, here to go. Um, he left for the Cardinals like day one or two, which was kind of interesting. And then I believe they were going to sign um, a lineman from the Rams, but he actually failed his physical. So they did not – or they said he failed his physical. So it was a very bizarre situation where – like the Raiders doctors and third party said he failed the physical, and then, you know, the Rams doctor says he was fine. So the Rams actually re-signed them. It was very strange, but um, their offensive line has been known to be really bad the last few years for the Raiders. I just remember um, when the Redskins would play them, Arakpo would have his career game against the Raiders every few years because, you know, that's when they played them. They signed Khalif Barnes back, which was good. Um, they signed um, another lineman named Austin Howard. Um, but he's an average player, maybe a depth player. So, like, for all the free agency, I wanted to go a little bit of a different route, and I'd say, what are the Raiders doing? Um, we'll have to see. I know they signed a couple guys the last few days, like Tuck and um, a couple other guys, I believe Woodley, too. But uh, they they were supposed to be big spenders, and they kind of missed a few first days. And then, of course, Akeem Tlaib going to the Broncos and Darrell Rivas going to the Pats was also big news. So those are my three big things I took away from the last week. Uh, Scott, um, I know that you're very capable of sharing your opinion on many subjects. <laughs> what are you seeing so far? And, Scott, I know you're you're a Dolphins guy. What are you seeing from the Finns so far? I like what the Finns are doing. They're, they're not spending a lot of money needlessly. They're bringing in guys that they need to plug holes. I like what they did bringing in the big left tackle. Uh, I think that was very important, bringing in Brandon Albert. I like the fact they brought in Shelly Smith from the Rams, uh, and they got him uh, basically for, for pennies on the dollar. If they can get him to, to uh, become a uh, full-time starter, he's only going to cost them about $2.5 million a year, which isn't a lot for that position. Uh, I, I like what they did with Cortland Finnegan. Uh, I think he's got some gas left in his tank, and I think he, he's coming off an injury just like Brent Grimes was last year. And if they can get as lucky with Finnegan as they did with Grimes last year, they're going to have a very impressive defensive backfield. Uh, I, I like what they're doing. I like the fact that they spent money on Grimes to bring him back. He's the leader. He's the leader of that defense uh, in, in, in the second level. I'd like to see them do something more on, on the offensive line, but that could hopefully come this week. Maybe we'll see them pick up a right tackle. If they can pick up a, a right tackle, it means they don't have to spend a high draft pick in May in the NFL draft to, to get a right tackle. Uh, and I'd like to see them get somebody who's established and then maybe spend the third or fourth round pick on on someone that they can groom for the future. Uh, but the, the the Dolphins are doing a lot of good things, and I, th- I think we're starting to learn who, who Dennis Hickey is and what he's all about. And he seems to be a no-nonsense uh, type guy who's just going to go out and get what you need. I hope he drafts uh, as well as, as, as he participates in free agency. Uh, Scott, 
a guy that uh, is rumored to be possibly interested in returning to Miami and playing for the Dolphins is Devin Hester. Um, take your UM bias out of the equation. Do you think Hester has enough left in the tank to contribute to the Dolphins this year? He does on special teams. I, I think that what happened uh, in, in years past with the Dolphins is they would they would get the ball in the return and they would start at the 20 or start inside their own 20. And I, I think with, with Hester, you would need to count on him as solely as a return guy. I don't think he's going to be able to play wide receiver for them. I don't see him, even if they stretch the field and go four wide, I don't see him breaking their, their four-man rotation. Um, but I do see him fitting in on special teams uh, very well, and, and, and that's a position that they have of need because Ryan Tannehill needs to start with the football past his own 20-yard line. He, he can't he can't average his own 17-yard line again uh, and expect to win football games. Uh, Scott, and one more question here, Dolphin-related and also UM-related. Lamar Miller had a pretty good uh, second year in the NFL this year. Is he the feature back you want to see the Dolphins uh, go forward with, or, or would you like to see them upgrade that position? He's the number two guy, in my opinion. I think they got to bring in a bigger back. Um, I, I just think that with, with the West Coast offense and the fact that they run out of the one-back set, I just don't see Lamar Miller as a guy that's going to be able to do it on a consistent basis. Uh, he's not going to have that second running back there to be able to hit the hole to open it up for him. I'd like to see them bring in a bigger guy. I know Ben Tate signed with the Cleveland Browns uh, yesterday, uh, but he was a guy that I was looking at for them to bring in, somebody who's established. Um, I, I just think the type of offense that they run, I, don't, I, just, I just don't think Lamar is suited for that type of offense. All right. All right, we're going to shift gears. Mike, I'm going to go back over to you on this one. Um, sure. Are you going to be filling any brackets out this week, first of all? Oh, of course. I'll probably do one or two with my family and some at work just to do it. I don't expect to win the billion dollars, but I'll try. And, uh, Mike, I know that the the common thought here is that three of the four number one seeds are already decided. Um, I think uh, you got definitely Florida, Wichita State. Uh, I forget who the third one is, but the fourth one's wide open. Um, who, who would you give the fourth number one seed to? UVA, wire-to-wire ACC title during the regular season and postseason. They played Duke neutral and won, I believe, both times. Or they played them really tough. Um, They played North Carolina. Um, They haven't had the hardest ACC schedule this year compared to a few teams, Um, but that's just the way it played out. But with the the best basketball conference in the country, and you win it during the regular season and the postseason tournament, for me it's no question it's UVA. Yeah, they're kind of in a similar position Miami was in last year, but I think the the field's even weaker this year. So I I agree with you. I think UVA gets it. That was a pretty good game today, too. I I was on the edge of my seat watching them in Duke. It looked like Jabari Parker was going to take over and lead Duke to the ACC championship. But, you know, UVA had the answer every time. Um, Just great balance inside and out. Terrific defense. Just a really good team. Um Scott, how about you? Would you give the fourth uh, number one to UVA as well? or and, and who are you looking at as a possible sleeper in this tournament? Um, I think UVA, I think, has shown that, that they can be a number one. Uh, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if we saw that. And I think in the beginning of the season, I don't think you really expected to see that out of UVA. 
So I, I think that they're going to uh, be able to uh, to perform well at the dance. I think they're going to uh, be, you know put their best foot forward. Uh, and I'm hoping to see uh, the SEC, the the ACC rather. I'm sorry. I'd like to see the ACC make some noise in the dance this year. All right, Scott. Pretty good stuff, guys. All right, so we pretty much run the gamut of uh, topics here. Anything you guys want to add before we close it out? Uh, I think I'm good. I'm excited to see what we do. I'm spring uh, practice, even though it's you know still winter time. I guess spring practice I think is on Tuesday and Thursday again. So the guys are back. So there'll be more news to generate, and hopefully we can get out there and show it off. Hopefully the players do well. No injuries. Well, the good thing about basketball season winding down means that it's that much closer to football season starting. And uh, with the, with us uh, getting back into spring ball, it just makes it very exciting to, to be a Hurricane fan. And I think that there's going to be a lot to be expected out of this team. Uh, they have a tough schedule. We all know that. But I think they're going to surprise a lot of people. And uh, I like where we are right now. I like where we are as a football team. And I think we're going to be a lot better once the freshmen come in in the fall uh, that, that haven't come in as early enrollees. And uh, I think this team is really going to start to uh, surprise some people. Uh, Yeah, Scott, um, if they don't, you are not going to have a lot of happy Miami fans. I think think the defense really is under the gun. They have their backs against the wall this year with how their defense has performed the past couple years. And uh, I think you're going to have more than a few angry segments on the future podcasts we do about Miami football if they don't get together on defense. So, guys, thank you a lot uh, for coming on. Uh, Great stuff. I think we covered a lot of stuff today, and I I look forward to uh, future podcasts. Thanks, guys. All right, guys. Have a great week. You guys have a good one. Thanks.